welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on December 12th, Lord's Day Service. to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he'd married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, work in us a spirit of love, power, and sound mind so that we may add virtue to our faith. We pray this for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. It's striking to see the different ways people view Jesus' ministry. In verse 15, we read that some thought Jesus was Elijah returned. Others saw him as a prophet. In verses 14 and 16, we read that Herod's guilty conscience led him to think that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. We learn from this that there are always a lot of opinions about Jesus' ministry, many of them wrong. It's also striking to see the sordid story surrounding Herod. The details need not detain us. It's a sordid story of a vicious king, a vindictive woman, a shameless girl, and a fearless prophet. The short of it is that Herod married Herodias, the former wife of his still-living half-brother, Herod Philip I. John the Baptist condemns the union as a violation of God's law. As a result, Herod imprisons John and then beheads him at the request of Herodias, whose daughter 
thrills a banquet audience with a provocative dance. We learn from this that there are always a lot of sleazy things in the world blinding people from seeing the truth. And it's also striking how near to the truth Herod is. Verse 20 says, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. So while Herodias fails to recognize this about John, Herod does recognize that John is a righteous man. Verse 20 also says that Herod kept him safe. The KJV translates that phrase as Herod observed him. In other words, while Herodias wants to kill John, Herod, while John's in prison, is actually looking after him. Verse 20 also says that Herod heard him gladly. So while Herodias hates that John exposed their immorality, Herod visits him in prison and listens to him gladly. And so Herod is near to the truth. And we learn from this that there is a difference between being near to the truth and surrendering yourself to the truth. And there may be some here today like Herod. There may be some here today who are near to the truth. They are near to the truth, but the Herodias in your life keeps you from surrendering yourself to the truth. And so in this passage, we see that when there is confusion about Jesus, accompanied by debauchery, along with a refusal to fully embrace the truth, well, that's when people make bad decisions. That's when people make bad deals. I mean, think about this. In exchange for a pleasing dance, Herod is willing, up to, give, willing to give up half his kingdom. That's a bad decision. That's a bad deal. I'm going to give up half my kingdom for five minutes of a pleasing dance from a girl. That's a bad decision. That's a bad deal. And that's a bad deal that warrants further exploration. And so today we consider three main questions. First, how can someone so near to the truth come to violently reject it? Second, how should we deal with the Herods in our world and in our life? And third, how does the truth hurt those who reject it. So first, let's consider how can someone so near to the truth come to violently reject it? Well, really, there's three things at work here. First, it's the problem of blowing hot and cold. The problem of blowing hot and cold. In other words, Herod has this abiding fickleness. There's this abiding capriciousness. Just look at Herod. When listening to John, he agrees with John and forgets Herodias. When listening to Herodias, he agrees with Herodias and forgets John. That's what I mean. Herod blows hot and cold. He's fickle. He's capricious. And he does this on the crucial things of life. We're not talking about what restaurant to eat at. He is alternating between two rival ideas. Over here, it's John. And then he agrees with John. Then he leaves John and goes to Herodias and listens to Herodias. And he agrees with Herodias. And in so doing, he is alternating between two rival ideas. He's alternating between two rival attitudes, two rival courses of action. He blows hot and cold. And it's not enough to say that he's superficial. 
No, that's not the problem. The problem is he's not grounded. The problem is he's not rooted. He flirts with the truth, but he chooses wickedness. He flirts with the truth, but he chooses wickedness. And how often do we do this? How often do we flirt with the truth, agree with the truth outwardly, but then choose wickedness? How often do we do this? How often do we flirt with God, His Word, and His Son only to go back to Herodias? How often do we blow hot and cold like Herod, refusing to cut off the worldly temptations that cause us to forget our Lord? And so how is it that someone so near to the truth can come to violently reject it? Well, first, it's the problem of blowing hot and cold. Second, it's the problem of besetting sin. The problem of besetting sin. A besetting sin is a favorite sin. A favorite sin where you return to it again, time and time again. For Herod, his besetting sin is his illegal alliance with Herodias. And in verse 20, it says that when Herod hears John, he does so gladly. Which means when he hears John, he agrees with him. In that moment, he hears the words John is saying and he says, I know that's right. But as we see, he only agrees with him temporarily. Perhaps he even goes out after hearing John and he says, I'm determined to correct the evils in my life. I'm determined to correct all of the evils in my province. But when John tells him to give up his illegal marriage to Herodias, Herod draws the line. Herod won't give that up. And here we see the unrepentant arrogance of sexual sin. Here we see the unrepentant arrogance of sexual sin. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 20 says, The adulteress eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Sexual sin in particular has the unrepentant arrogance to it. It's because it lives so deep within us that we say, well, I can repent of this, I can repent of that, but this right here I can't repent of. I'm determined to fulfill my desires. The unrepentant arrogance of sexual sin. When sexual sin, like we see here with Herod, when sexual sin is confronted with the gospel, people usually go in one of two ways. They either go the way of Mary Magdalene and repent and receive God's free grace, or they go the way of Herod and Herodias, and they would behead people rather than repent. They're so determined to keep that sin that they would behead someone. They respect rather than repent. That's the nature of sexual sin in particular. Herod seems to realize there is truth in what John says. Herod realizes that his relationship with Herodias is wrong. But notice what sin does. You can say in your head, I know it's wrong, but notice what sin does. Commitment to your favorite sin causes you to reject the truth that you know is the truth and therefore reject God. When sin takes 
root. It convinces you that you must do everything in your power to keep that sin. And so it convinces you to reject the truth. It convinces you to reject your family if you have to. It convinces you to reject your friends if you have to. Besetting sin blinds you to every true thing because you only want that sin. The choices we all make come from the fact that we do whatever we find in our heart to do. And besetting sin creates an insular world wherein all you find is that sin and determination to fulfill that desire. And so you seek out this sin to whatever end it leads, knowing it's destructive in the process. You seek out this sin unrestrained and unrestricted. Now, when God's grace is at work in your life, your appetite for sin, your appetite for drunkenness or pornography or rudeness or whatever it is, your appetite for those things is mitigated by God's word and the people he puts around you. But with your favorite sin, with your besetting sin, you block out those good things that God puts in your life so that you can return to that sin. And so you avoid God's word, you avoid prayer, you avoid the people who love you so that you can get away with returning to that sin. And so I ask, what is your besetting sin? What is the besetting sin that is holding you back? What is your Herodias? Examine yourself. And when you examine yourself, cast yourself completely upon Christ. And as you do this, seek counsel from other Christians. This ought not be done in silence by yourself only. You need the people of God there with you as you examine yourself. You need the people of God there with you when you're casting yourself upon Christ. And when you do that through the power of the Spirit and the power of the cross, you can conquer that sin and let that sin go. And so what we're seeing here is how is it that someone can come so near to the truth and then violently reject it? And we see first it's the problem of blowing hot and cold. Second, it's the problem of besetting sin. And third, in the case of Herod at least, it's the problem of deciding based on the opinions of man. In verse 26... It says that because Herod makes a public oath in front of his banquet audience, he grants Herodias' request. So, so there it is. Concern about the opinions of man lead Herod to kill a man he admires. This is what the opinions of man can do to us. Many people struggle with the fear of man. Many people struggle with concern for the approval of others, and usually the wrong others. But I want you to just think about the madness of it all. Think about the madness of making decisions based on the opinions of the mob. We disobey the Lord because we're afraid of what certain people think, even though those people will be dead in 50 years. We're afraid of what people will think of us. People who will be dead in 50 years, we're afraid of what they will think of us. We're afraid what they're going to say about us. And so we make our decisions based on what someone who's going to be dead in 50 years thinks and says. Think of the madness of this. Will God be dead in 50 years? What does the opinion of worldly man matter 
as long as you are right with the eternal God who gives eternal judgments, long past the judgments of those we so often fear. And so we see in this passage how it is that someone so near to the truth could suddenly and violently reject the truth and put the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The second question we need to consider this morning is how should we deal with these Herods in our life? How should we deal with Herods in our life and in our world? And we see in verse 18 that John tells Herod directly that his relationship with Herodias is sinful. And in this, John holds Herod accountable to God's law. John's condemnation of the marriage is based on Leviticus chapter 18, verse 16, and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21. Notice, Herod is not part of the people of God. Herod does not admit to the legitimacy of the word of God. Herod himself does not see God's law as having authority over him. And I want you to notice in particular how neither of those points keep John from holding Herod accountable to God's law. See, a lot of Christians today have this idea in their head that when we talk about God's moral standards publicly, out there, in a society, in a culture that has completely wholesale rejected God and His Word. Christians think that when we talk about God's moral standards publicly, we're, we're forcing religion down, down people's throats. And so really, we can only hold people accountable to God's Word if they, on the front end, agree that God's Word is legitimate. And they have this idea that, you know, we really shouldn't talk about God's Word. We really shouldn't impose God's law on people apart from a democratic majority. And then if there's a democratic majority, maybe we can bring God's word to bear on the world. And in response to this idea, it's really important to see how much John doesn't care about any of that. John doesn't care about any of those things. John doesn't wait for the democratic majority to have their opinions heard in a Gallup poll before he then calls Herod out on his sin. He doesn't care about that. That's not how the prophet of God operates. John spoke the truth to Herod, even though Herod does not acknowledge the legitimacy of God's word, even though many in that culture probably would not acknowledge the legitimacy of this point. John spoke the truth to Herod when he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And it's also important to note that John ended up losing his life because he spoke the truth. And, and that didn't stop him either. You see, it's dangerous to speak true things about and to civil leaders who have authority when they oppose you and they oppose your God. Consider yourself warned. You might really want to apply this sermon. Well, just, it's, you've been warned. You've been warned. If you speak the truth to powerful people who oppose you and your God, you may very well be killed. You've been warned. And this is precisely why so many Christians are afraid to speak up when there are Herods in their life and in their world. Christians are afraid to speak up because they know it's dangerous. They know there are potentially fateful consequences if they are to speak up and call sin, sin publicly with powerful people. And so many, a Christian, many Christians are afraid to speak up to the Herods in our world. 
And there's other reasons Christians don't speak up. For example, Micah chapter 3 verse 5 and Ezekiel 13, 19 tells us that people don't speak up because of their concern for personal gain. And so if I speak up about this matter, well, that might cost me a promotion. That might cost me something personally. And so I'm just going to keep quiet. Micah chapter 2 verse 11 reveals another reason people don't speak up to the Herods in the world. Micah 2.11 reveals that false prophets fail to speak the truth because they desire the acceptance from people. And they say, well, if I say this, if I call Herod sinful in this moment, then maybe the people will turn against me. And so there's all sorts of reasons we refuse to speak the truth to the Herods in our world. And notice the true prophet here, John, the true prophet exposes the sin of the people and especially of the leaders of that society. And again, I have to reiterate, John lost his life because he spoke the truth. Speaking against the mob, speaking against the powerful man who opposes you and opposes your God, it's not easy. For example, after speaking the truth in Amos chapter 7, Amos was told to be silent and go home. Speaking against the mob, speaking against the powerful man, it's not easy. And that's why Jeremiah had trembling bones and a broken heart in Jeremiah 23.9. Speaking against the mob, speaking against the powerful man, it's not easy. And we should not forget that Jesus, our Lord, was murdered for speaking the truth in the temple. And so there's all sorts of reasons we convince ourselves that it's best just to keep silent and not speak the truth to the Herods in our world. And those who are afraid to speak the truth tend to default to flattery. Not silence. They tend to default to, to flattery. You see, flattery makes people think better of us. Flattery is speaking sweet things of others that is out of proportion with what they really are. Flattery dresses itself up in love. In, in reality, it is a spineless form of hatred. And so how are we to deal with the Herods in our life? How are we to deal with the Herods in our world? Well, in this passage, John spoke the truth. And so should we. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says that love rejoices with the truth. And so, yes, we should speak the truth. The people of God should speak the truth about wicked leaders. Now... We have to make a caveat here because for most of you, you're hearing this in a very politically charged way and you're going to apply it in a politically charged way. And so we have to also point out that when we're speaking the truth about powerful people who oppose us, we do not lie about them. We do not slander them. We do not promote gossip. We don't repeat things we don't know. We don't slander them and we don't lie about them. We speak the truth that we know and we speak it with as much gentleness as is possible. And so then the question for us as the people of God, the question for you is, do you love people enough to speak to them the truth that might save them? Or do you love your self-preservation so much that you speak nothing or speak falsehood or default to flatter? And so in this passage, we've seen how can someone so near to the truth come to violently reject it? So there's three ways. Second, we've seen how should we deal with the Herods in our life. We see we should, like John, speak the truth. The third and final question we need to consider this morning is how does the truth hurt those who reject it? 
How does the truth hurt those who reject it? Did you notice in the first few verses how Herod is haunted by John? Verse 14 says that Herod thought Jesus was John raised from the dead. And in this way, we can learn something from Herod. And here's what we should learn. Once someone brushes up against the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will not know rest or peace until they fully embrace it. And that is why I encourage you to learn from Herod and do what he did not and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Fully embrace and surrender yourself to the good news of Jesus Christ. There stands God, the eternal judge. Here stands you, the sinner. God demands certain things of you, and He's made that quite plain and clear in His law. And your guilty conscience attests that you have not lived according to God's standard. And you have to appear before this God one day, and you will stand before Him guilty, and for your guilt there is nothing but damnation. But here comes Jesus Christ, who died for all those who would believe in Him. And in His death, He received the damnation you deserved. In His death, He was seen as guilty by God the Father for the sins of His people. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God the Father is willing and ready to pardon you, to forgive you, to declare you righteous, to give you a new life and adopt you into the family of God. Faith in Jesus as the guilt-bearing substitute for your sins is the only way out. And you don't know how long you will live. You have no control over the length of your days. The offer of salvation is here now. It's here now at the present moment. And surely there is one and only thing you should do, and that is to put your full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're flirting with the truth. But then you've committed yourself to Herodias. I would suggest to you that's the wrong course. If you're flirting with the truth, I would encourage you to fully embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. Christ does it all and gives you everything. Refusal to trust Christ means not only that you will be haunted as Herod is haunted, but you will receive eternal punishment. And that's how the truth hurts those who reject the gospel. And so in conclusion, consider this. Herod is a man in authority. Those in authority will either use that authority in line with God's revealed will, or they won't. They will either eat up the people as they eat bread, as Psalm 14.4 says, or they will, like Jesus, gather the people and feed them, like we see in Mark 6.37. Herod uses his authority to order the head of John the Baptist chopped off. They bring it to him at a banquet and present it to him on a serving dish. Jesus uses his authority to feed the people by the thousands. And so in this passage, we see that when there is confusion about Jesus, accompanied by debauchery, along with a refusal to fully embrace the truth, that's when people make bad decisions. That's when people make bad deals. And for you, the bad deal is to follow in the footsteps of Herodias and continue to cling to your Herodias. And the good deal is to turn from Herodias and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us close by praying together.
Heavenly Father, we see in this passage that with his authority, Herod is willing to give up half his kingdom in exchange for a pleasing dance. And we've seen this morning that that's a bad deal for Herod and for those in his kingdom. And we've also seen that compared to you, Herod is a cheapskate. Herod is willing to give up half his kingdom for a two-second pleasure. And yet you, Father, you are willing, through faith, you are willing to share with your people the entirety of your kingdom in exchange for nothing. Thank you, Father, for your abundance of grace and your generosity that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.